Entrepreneurs Over 40, Episode 71, with Edward Ayers of Inventor Process, talking about profiting from your invention. The only thing you're going to regret in life are the things you don't do. And you don't want to be laying in your deathbed thinking about only if I'd have got my invention to the marketplace, only if I'd have written that book, only if I'd have sung that song. So go ahead and take the risk. It may cost you time. You may invest money that you don't get back, but you know what? You might just hit a whole run and it changes everything. And it only takes one idea to do it. You're listening to Entrepreneurs Over 40, the show for somewhat mature entrepreneurs and side hustlers. And now your host, Greg Mills. Our guest today is a noted invention expert, entrepreneur, and co-founder of Inventor Process, Inc. As CEO of Inventor Process, he utilizes his 23 years of industry experience to assist inventors in reaching their goals. His fascination with inventions began at an early age when his penchant for innovations earned him the most likely to succeed distinction in high school. He entered the invention industry in 1999 and since then has worked in various capacities to include research, design, copywriting, marketing, sales, and licensing negotiations. In 2014, after 15 years of success in the industry, he co-founded Inventor Process, Inc. Inventor Process is a trusted resource for inventors searching for an experienced ally that can guide them through all the legal, deal-making, manufacturing, and marketing challenges ahead. Today, Inventor Process is a home to a team of invention professionals who work closely together to guide inventors through the new product introduction process. With his leadership, the organization has earned a singular reputation for its focused dedication to clients. Additionally, he and his team have recently launched InventorMade.com, a free platform for inventors to sell their retail-ready products. He's been married for 20 years, has two sons, and is an active member of his church congregation. Additionally, it doesn't matter if it's tiddlywinks, beanbag toss, or a new product introduction, he plays to win. Without further ado, let me introduce the one and only Edward Ayers. Hey, good afternoon, Greg. Thank you for the introduction. I really appreciate it, and thanks for having me on the podcast today. It's my pleasure. Now, Edward, can you take a few moments and fill in the gaps from that intro and bring us up to speed with what's going on in your world today? Sure. We have a lot of very fascinating, or at least to me, interesting things that are happening at Inventor Process. One of those is we always focus on assisting our clients and bringing their ideas to life and then to the shelves of the marketplace. But a couple other exciting things that we have happening is starting October 14th of this year, we're launching Invention Mastery 101. And it's the opportunity for independent inventors to learn the ins and outs of inventing so they can take advantage of a future as a successful inventor. And we're going to bring together a lot of great instructors. We're going to give them reliable information. But on top of that, not only are they going to learn that information, but they're going to be able to practice it and then implement it so they can take their products to the shelf. Okay. That sounds like a great opportunity for anybody that's got an invention idea that's been percolating in their brain and wants to get it out to the world. Now, yes, sir. I say, I'm sorry, Greg, that I say this class is for anyone that has an idea. If they're at 
step A, or if they're already retail ready and just need information to get to the next step. So no matter where you're at in that inventing process, the Invention Mastery course is going to have great, useful, and actionable information for them to use. Okay. Now, did you come from an entrepreneurial or an inventor's background? Did anybody in your family invent anything or have their own business when you were growing up? Yes, sir. My father is a serial entrepreneur. As a young man, when I was too young to realize what was happening, he had a transportation company, but his real claim to fame was in the piano industry. And if you Google Ayers Piano, you might be able to find some of them, but from about 1980 to approximately 1995, it was the largest retail piano outlet in the United States and tens of thousands of Ayers Pianos were out there. So my father's an entrepreneur and It's because of him that I'm actually in the invention industry. He sold his piano company for all the money he thought he'd ever need, but he never factored in the boredom of, well, retirement. So a friend of his brought him into new product introduction. And just a few short years later, he introduced me to the field. Well, that's where I found my home. But my father, he likes to say he's never had a job. He's always worked for himself. So yes, is the answer. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing. He got out of probably at about the right time as far as you know, there, there doesn't seem to be, and I'm probably going to get feedback from this, not from you, but from listeners. There doesn't seem to be a huge demand for pianos at this point. Yeah, my father likes to say, like you said, he sold the company at the exact right time because there wasn't a lot of young folks who were wanting to learn the piano when they could learn an electric keyboard. And the electric keyboard business really started to dominate that market. And these weren't baby grands. These were small uprights, ideal for households, students, teachers, and things of that nature. And well, again, that market pretty much got decimated. Yeah. But he got out in time. All right. Well, what did you do before helping inventors? Uh, So I've been in the invention industry since 1999. What is that? We're creeping up on 23 years in November. So I didn't do much before I was in the new product introduction industry. I joined the Army 14 days after high school. I was doing push-ups at uh, Fort Campbell. And then after my Army career, where I spent well, four years, not much of a career, but after my army time, I finished my degree at Austin P State University in Clarksville, Tennessee. And then me and a few buddies, we started a make ready business. And what we did is when folks would move out of their apartments, we would go in, clean them up, spruce them up, fix them up and get them ready for the next tenants. And I did that for a few years, at which point I then went into the air conditioning industry really as labor. I was fresh out of the army. I didn't know how to say no. And I would go into those attics and work until the job was done. And I thought I was doing extremely well for myself. I had goals and plans. And that's when I was introduced to the invention industry. And I like to say I sold everything I owned, a futon couch, and moved to Springfield, Illinois. And from Springfield, Illinois, I have been all over the nation and all over the world helping independent inventors with their new products. So it's been a a great life for me, and and I've just really enjoyed it. Okay, forgive my ignorance, but when you say you were introduced to the invention industry and you moved to Springfield, Illinois, yes, sir. How does that? How did that happen, or how did that introduce you? Sure. My father, again, who is my father, he's my hero. He's my best friend. I really enjoy him. He's been a huge influence in my life. 
But he actually uh, came to San Marcos, Texas, where I was living at the time, him and his wife. And we were sitting down uh, enjoying dinner and he was on his way to Springfield. He had left the company he was working with. and He was going to open his own firm. And he asked me to come with, to come with him or to assist him or be a part of it. I don't know the best phraseology there. And I said, no, I was like, what is an inventor? My knowledge of an inventor was Doc Brown, right? The flux capacitor back to the future. So I told him, no, I've got some good things going on here. I'm going to be launching my own business and just kind of laughed about it. And once he brought it up, it's one of those things. I never gave any thought to inventors, but once I heard about an inventor, I started noticing the new products, the DRTV commercials. I started to hear the word more and actually started meeting people who had new product ideas. So it was about two to three months later. I called my father. I asked him if the job opportunity was still available. Being my dad, he said yes. And uh, I was on my way to Springfield, Illinois, where I started as a client coordinator. And that just simply means inventors would contact us for information. I would reach out to them, give them the overview of the company, what we did and how we did it, and then invite them in to speak with knowledgeable consultants. And that's where I got my start. So I really owe my career to my father and well, just my fascination with new things. Okay. And what led you to go off on your own and launch inventor process? So again, my father had that soup. I had a super successful piano business. He was very successful in the invention industry, but it wasn't his calling. So it wasn't too much longer that he was deciding he was going back to retiring. And I started looking for another job in the industry where I was fortunate enough to get hired on with marketing advisory group. I enjoyed my time there. I spent, man, what was it? Probably 10 years with marketing advisory group. We had some phenomenal product successes. And it is from there with now armed with 14 years worth of experience and knowledge, knowing the do's and the don'ts that my wife and I, she's my co-founder and been in the industry for 17 years, decided it was time to take all of the good stuff we had learned from our time in the industry and implement that into inventor process. And since then, we haven't looked back. We've been growing at a phenomenal rate and we just keep pouring, paring down, getting rid of what doesn't work and implementing what does more and more. And it's just been a great success. Now, I hadn't planned to ask this and I'm not certainly not trying to get you into any trouble, but what does your wife bring to the table as far as inventor process goes? Because my wife and I, it's like we share one brain. I've got the right side and she's got the left and between us, we make one functional human being. You know what? I've, I haven't heard that analogy before, but it, it's a lot like that with my wife and I. What she brings to the table is of course, intelligence organization and a drive to get things done. I often say I, I love people. I like talking with folks and shaking hands and being in front uh, of the camera, if you will, from it's kind of a, a bad analogy. I'm a forward person. With that being said, she doesn't enjoy that much client interaction. She is a task completer. She's an organizer. So when I'm showing up on time, when I'm completing my task on time, and when I'm looking like I've done a really good job, she deserves 95% of that credit. So she brings drive, determination, organization, and completeness to the company. Okay. Not that I was suspecting that exact division of labor, but I figured that 
there was something along those lines. So yes, sir. My wife, yeah, my wife is way smarter than I am. She married down. You know what I've discovered? You mentioned in my bio, I'm an active member at our church. I think every man in our church married way, way up and all of the wives have married way, way down. And that's just a blessing from God Almighty to allow that to happen in my life. And well, all of my friends at church too. Yeah. It's funny how that happens. Yeah, there. Okay. Let's switch to what exactly is, and we talked about this in the bio a little bit, but sure. I want you to explain to our audience what inventor process is and what it can do for an inventor. So inventor process in the simplest terms is a consulting firm that provides business development services to independent inventors. And what that really means is most of our clients have a good idea. However, their expertise typically isn't in new product introduction. So they don't know how to get started, what to do, or even the best route to the marketplace. So the team at Inventor Process, and we use that name for a reason. We have a process that we put products through. But what we do is we help our clients to ascertain if their product is feasible and doesn't stand a legitimate shot on the marketplace. Now, that doesn't mean that we have a crystal ball. That doesn't mean that X squared plus Y equals success every time. But we can review products based off cost-price ratio, manufacturability, target market, and marketability to make sure they're hitting those bases before an inventor ever invests time, energy, and money into the product. And then at that point, we believe ownership of an invention is very important. You don't necessarily need a patent to get your product to the marketplace, but we certainly recommend it. So if that product and the inventor get through the review process, then typically we recommend that we have our patent attorneys do a complete patent search and novelty assessment. And the search is very simply where they're looking for anything that might be remotely close to that product. And the assessment is why they get paid. And that is to review the features of the client's product against anything they found and make a professional judgment if legal protection may or may not be available. Then I'm an optimist, so I'm always praying that we get a thumbs up there. And if we do, at that point, our team, and we have designers and researchers and great artists, will work with the client to help turn that idea into a real product. And what I mean by that is to flush it out, build the prototypes, be a virtual or pant. And at that point, once we have the product design down, then we can help the client file for legal protection, typically in the form of patent applications. And once that patent application is filed, then we do not wait for them to be issued or you'd be waiting for years. But as soon as the client obtains patent pending status, we recommend that they start the marketing effort. And while that preparation to get the patent pending status is happening, our entire research team and marketing campaign teams are working together to establish the information we'll need to assist our clients in implementing that outreach campaign, be that through venturing or licensing. So in a nutshell, we help them with the intellectual property needs. We help them with the development of their product, the marketing, and also licensing negotiation or retail placement, depending on which avenue they're implementing. Okay. So I imagine it sounds like you're either a one-stop shop or that you could also be further along in the process and then reach out to you as well. Is that uh, Yes, sir. So we're very fortunate to have a great team of experts who have 
mastered multiple disciplines regarding new product introduction. And so we have clients that start when they just have a sketch on a napkin. And we have clients that have already issued patents, retail ready products to go, but they just don't know where to go from there. And then, well, that's when we come in and help them get to that next level. So from A, idea to Z, the shelves of the marketplace, and regardless of where you're at in that spectrum, we can typically be of assistance. Okay. Now you mentioned both venturing and licensing. Which do you recommend for people to pursue? It really depends. And I just want to backtrack. I say most likely we can be of assistance. We're very, we're pretty selective in the products we work with. We're looking for simple products, easy to manufacture that have a mass market. We believe that's important for independent inventors. I often say leave all of the robotics and the technologies to the engineers at MIT. Keep it simple. But back to your question about venturing or licensing. For 85% of independent inventors who have never taken a product to the shelves of the marketplace, we're going to recommend licensing or attempting to license that product. Now, if you have an inventor that has a, an entrepreneur entrepreneurial spirit, a business background, maybe they've been in the invention industry with other products in the past, then venturing is not something I would sway them away from necessarily. But for the vast majority of inventors, especially independents, we think licensing is the quickest way to the market. It's the least expensive way to the market. And with least with less expense comes less risk, less exposure. And most inventors, once they hear about the two routes and, and what they take, tend to agree with me and inside for licensing. Say an inventor comes up with an idea. What's the best way to validate it? Should they search on Amazon, search Google? Yes, yes sir. So that's one of the things that we certainly recommend to clients is to do a little bit of research. And often that simply means jumping on Google and searching keywords. I mean, if you have a brand new ink pen, you're looking ink pen with light, ink pen with illumination, ink pen with bulb, ink pen, and see what pops up. Many inventors, they're leery, they're nervous. And I understand their invention is their baby and they want to protect it. And so I talk to folks almost every day and they're say they're too scared to search on Google because Google might steal their idea. And I have to assure my clients and your entire audience, there is nobody at Google monitoring your searches to steal your idea. I believe it is 100% safe to invest that time on a search engine and start looking. And then I love going to Amazon and seeing what's on Amazon. Now, at that point, what I tell my clients is just because you don't find it doing a Google search or browsing Amazon or even attempting to do your own patent search does not mean at that point you don't hire a professional. So you've done your own research. You've made yourself pretty confident that you have something unique and worth moving forward. At that point, you do want to hire a patent attorney or a patent agent, obviously like the crew that we have an inventor process to do that thorough patent search. There's but almost 12 million issued patents, probably three to 4 million more pending. They are cross-referenced and re-referenced in tens of thousands of categories. And good patent practitioners will use tricky terminology to make it harder to find those patent applications. So they won't say an ink pen. They'll say a, a column with a liquid within it or something along that nature, which makes it difficult to find if you're a novice. So do your own research, make yourself confident that, you know, your exact idea isn't out there, 
and then hire someone just to be a hundred percent sure. Hire okay. a, a professional. So I've got this great idea for a product. I've done my due diligence, my research. I didn't find it out there. And I'm going to engage in vendor process. Can you walk us through coming up with that idea to commercializing it? Sure. Yes, sir. I, I will. And I'll, I'll use the average client in this scenario. But one more thing before I jump into that, we were talking about validating the product and we certainly want to make sure that legal protection is available. The one thing I do express to my clients and to your audience is just because competition is out there doesn't necessarily mean you have to put your invention on the back burner. I often say competition is a good thing. For every Coke, there is a Pepsi. So if you're looking for ink pens and you've never seen another ink pen out there, well, obviously there, there might not be a market for ink pens. But if you start looking for ink pens, you start seeing things out there, that means people are buying them, there's a market for them. And if you can put your ink pen, which is better, less expensive to make, has some neat feature right next to all the other ones, that probably proves market validity better than not finding anything at all. If there's nothing at all, it means you're product probably doesn't serve a wide enough purpose to merit being out there now okay. but if you've done those things and you've called inventor process or if you've reached out to us online at inventorprocess.com what's going to happen is one of our consultants is going to reach out to you via telephone and email we will never ask an idea over the phone the very first thing a and then we tell our clients who we are, what we do, and how we do it in a very brief manner. And we suggest to many of them that they submit their product for review. The review is cost and obligation free. And the very first thing they do is sign a declaration of confidentiality and non-use. Swears us to secrecy, says we won't do anything with the product. We don't need that document. We would never do anything wrong with the product, but it's just nice to have. But then after that, the review process, which is again, marketability, manufacturability, target market, and I'll even one out, manufacturability. If it gets through that, then our team will put together a course of action plan to take the product from where it is at to the shelves of the market. And for our average client or our the majority of our clients, that is licensing. And typically at that point, our course of action plans are broken into two segments. We have a research segment and then we have an action phase. And under the research phase, that's where we're going to do that review. That's where we're going to make sure there's a market for the product by looking for competition. And that's where we're going to conduct a patent search and a novelty assessment. And that is true for a wide swatch of the products that we work with. Unfortunately, during that research phase, many of our clients' products will, will fall out. It won't get through the review. We'll find way too much prior art to be able to get a solid patent on the product. And at that point, we do have to recommend the client puts the brakes on. However, if we get thumbs up throughout that entire process, the novelty assessment says they can get it up patent on the product, then we'll implement that action phase. And the action phase is focused on patenting, marketing, and royalty negotiations, the three key hurdles to licensing. And the first two things that will happen is our team will work with the client. If I'm the consultant or one of my other teammates are, they'll work hand in hand with the research or with the designers and the client, and they'll create the virtual prototype. 
and the written description. And that written description, our team is going to nail the unique properties of that invention, its key features, its benefits, its variations, which are important for eventual patent protection. And then the mechanical description, how do you build that widget. At which point, once that virtual prototype and written description is complete, uh, the consultant, not the consultant, excuse me, the client, the inventor has to review it. They have to verify it's right. It's their invention. They're the only folks who know if we've nailed it. At that point, once they sign off on it, we will then start getting our marketing ducks in a row. And that generally starts with research. I have a great research. I don't mean to speak like that. We have a great research team. And that great research team consists of market researchers, an industry, an analyst. And what they'll do is they'll create a marketing report. The features of benefits, the fads and trends, the potential need of the product, the consumer target market, all the numbers, all the facts, all 100% verifiable and all written in a way to make that product glow. Because eventually we're going to use that marketing report as a sales tool. And then based off the information in that report, like the SIC codes, the features and benefits, product line compatibilities, we'll start analyzing potential licensees. These are the companies that we're going to target with the product. And what a licensee means in this, for instance, is we're looking for a brand that has the capability to manufacture this product, distribute it to the shelves of the marketplace. And I say shelves generically online, brick and mortar, everywhere in between, but to the shelves of the marketplace with all their other products and then pay our clients a fair royalty for every unit that sells. So our team is going to analyze potential licensees to identify the very best companies to target. We always say up to 50, at which point we don't just identify company names. We identify their contact information, their sales history, their product lines, their locations, and who at that company we should be submitting products to. When I say we, who our clients should be submitting products to. So a decision maker. Now, once we're armed with that marketing report and the list of potential licensees, we have to have a way to make those companies aware of it. And most independent inventors don't have the the time or the resources to fly across the country knocking on 50 different doors, right? So we have to have another way to put that product in front of them. And we do that through an informational website. So our team creates a great animation for the product, about a 45-second commercial, really driving home the product, driving home the problem, how the product is the solution, and making sure to show the smiling faces of the target market. And then the rest of that website tells the licensee what the product is, what's what the inventor wants, and what's in it for the licensee, right? That's what they care about, what's in it for them. And then once the website is up, it's functioning, it's doing its job as a real portal, we have to get those companies to it. So we recommend a process called saturation marketing. And that's where our clients will literally send out their sales sheets and introduction letters directly to those decision makers. They will follow up with more mailings, phone calls, and emails. And I jokingly say, you're going to keep following up with these companies until they tell you yes or until they file a restraining order, one of the two. I'm exaggerating a little bit about that last part, but outreach is important. And unfortunately, a lot of inventors are as committed as a kamikaze pilot on the 37th mission, right? They get that first no, or they send out that first round of sell sheets. And if they don't make it, 
Well, then they say, well, the idea mustn't be that good. They put it in the closet and they go ahead and forget about it. And that is the worst thing in the world to do. That's why we preach, and I don't feel uncomfortable using the word preach, saturation marketing. Reach out to these companies through the mail, through telephone calls, through email, through trade shows, and do what's necessary to get your product in front of them. At which point, you can't twist their arm or anything of that nature. The product does have to stand on its own two feet. The companies have to like what they see the value in the product, and then it's time to negotiate. But before negotiations, let's say everything went well, you've got the patent filed, which I forgot to mention, any marketing outreach happens, the patent application is filed. Then the marketing outreach happens. And typically you would hope that you can just jump to negotiations. That is rarely the case if the company is of any size, the licensee. If they're a little bitty company and the president of the company is also the VP of manufacturing, the VP of marketing, and the secretary, they can make a decision almost instantly. But mm -hmm. most brands that of size will have to put the product through the review process. And at that point, we assist our clients with making sure that the companies get the right information. They get what they need so they can take the product through their review. And at that point, if the review goes positive, then it's negotiations time. And in Vinter Process, we are a profit maximizer. Our team of negotiators have over 30 years of combined experience and royalty negotiations. There's over 30 standpoints they hit on very firmly. One of the key ones, and where inventors often make a mistake, maybe they just don't know, is the definition of the product. We're going to make sure we have a very broad definition that covers variations, modifications, and improvements because we want our clients getting paid for version 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0, and every version that comes after the initial one. And we do that because, yes, we're looking out for our clients. We want them to have the most lucrative deal possible, but we also, our fee for negotiating is a percentage of the royalties. So we want them to earn a lot because we earn more that way. Okay. So that differs from the actual patent in that the patent's pretty darn specific. When you're actually negotiating with these companies, you leave the de product definition pretty wide open. It sounds like. Yes, sir. And I, just to touch on that, the patents are very specific. I am not a patent attorney. I work with some great ones. And I, again, I've been in the industry for 23 years, but I often tell my clients, you only want to be a specific as the patent examiner makes you be. So mm -hmm. most patents, if at all possible, you want them to be as broad as you can. So not sharp like a samurai sword, more like a five-gallon bucket. And then when you file that uh, full utility patent application, about a year and a half to two years down the road, you're going to get an examiner who's looking over it. And I compare them to mean English teachers with red ink pens. This is going to go through there and say, well, you can't have this and you can't have that. But preparing a quality patent, in my opinion, as a non-patent attorney, you should go in there asking for the whole doggone soda machine when all you really want is the soda. And that way, if they make you pull off the door and take off the compressor and remove the buttons, you've got a patent that's a lot broader than just that soda. But going back to that definition of product, yes, sir, most inventors and most licensing professionals, I'm... I hit all the clubs. I am reading the content that other professionals are putting out. Some of them I really agree with, and some of them I 
I don't, but I see it often. The definition is the first or second paragraph of most licensing agreements. And it says the product being licensed is currently known as the ABC machine and covered under patent number 11,542,000. And that's it, period. Now, eventually that product's going to make a change. That R&D department at the licensing company, they're going to remove some parts. They're going to add a bell or a whistle. And all of a sudden your intellectual property is obsolete. So simply by saying the product currently known as the ABC machine, currently covered by patent number 11,500,000 and all modifications, improvements, and variations. At that point, you give their R&D department the ability to tweak, to make a brand uh, extensions while still collecting the fair royalty on that product. It's all about the definition of product. What exactly is a fair royalty deal? Are we talking 40%, 50, 60? I have a feeling I'm way off. (laughs) But I got excited when I heard it. Uh, You know what? I often hear from inventors where they're like, you know, and I'm reasonable. I'm willing to split this 50-50 with the licensee. And I was like, I don't know if the licensee is going to consider that reasonable. Pros and cons to licensing. The pros are the inventor never has to make a major investment in manufacturing, distribution, or marketing. The cons is because they don't make that major investment in manufacturing, distribution, or marketing, which keeps the majority of the profit. That's the license. For most consumer-type products, you're talking about a 5% royalty. They can go lower. I mean, I've seen licensing agreements as low as 2%, and I hear about licensing agreements that have reached 12 and 15%. But realistically, for most independent inventors that are creating tools, sporting goods, household equipment, baby products, things of that nature, right about 5%. Doesn't mean we're not going to ask for more. Doesn't mean we're not going to fight for more. And believe me, we've signed plenty of licensing agreements at a higher percentage rate. But on average, if you put that 5% in your mind, you won't be disappointed. That seems totally fair. You're not having to worry about cash flow and all that. Stocking up product can could bankrupt you. And for most independent inventors that go the venturing route, that is what happens. I often say inventors suffer from the Kevin Costner complex. They think if they build it, the consumer will come. And what happens with that mentality is inventors create they, the three P's of product failure, right? They patent, they prototype, they produce, and they end up with 3,000 units in their garage that are not made to the quality that they had desired, and they've spent their entire budget getting them, so now they have no way to advertise them to the consumer. And your advertising budget should definitely, especially with a brand new product that you're launching, should be significant, even more so than your manufacturing budget. Okay. Yeah. Kevin Costner complex. I hadn't heard of that. Build it and they will come. And unfortunately, that just isn't the case in inventing. So my invention's produced and sold. Royalty checks are coming in. What's next? If anything. A couple things are next. Yes. So it's very important with any licensing agreement that the inventor has the right to audit the books. So what happens when you... uh secure a licensing agreement, you're going to have some benchmark guarantees. You're going to negotiate the territory 
that the licensee can distribute the product in, you're going to have some guaranteed minimums. Are they going to make 100 units a minimum? Are they going to make a million units minimum? Most likely it's going to be somewhere in between there, especially for a brand new product. But the inventor has to know what those minimums are. And then if they ever question the royalty checks, for instance, let's say the company has the ability to distribute throughout the US, the inventor happens to be on vacation in Europe and start seeing the product there. Well, at that point, they need the ability to audit the books of the licensee. Now they don't get to go and audit every portion of their financials, but the portion that has to do with their invention. And if they discover that the licensee has made a mistake, let's call it that, and produced more units than they had said without paying the royalty or had distributed in a territory that they weren't supposed to and didn't pay the royalty, well, then that licensee has to have the ability to make it right. We want to call that a, a mistake and the licensee will pay for the audit. Now, at which point if the inventor decides to audit the books and finds nothing wrong, everything is just as it should be. Well, the inventor has to pay for the audit. Now, at inventor process, one of the key services that we provide is identifying potential licensees to target. In that identification process, we are also looking into the reputation of these companies. So if this is a company that has been bogged down in litigation after lawsuit after lawsuit, obviously that's not the type of company we're going to recommend our clients do business with. So in 23 years of helping independent inventors, numerous licensing agreements, only twice has a brand had a mistake that they had to rectify. And every other time, everything was just exactly as it should be. So you license the product, your royalty checks are coming in. The only thing you have to do is from time to time, police your product to make sure that you're being paid what you deserve. And then, well, they're inventors. They should move on to their next product. That's something I had not considered was having to audit companies' books. Yeah, so you do have the right as an inventor. You need to have it in the licensing agreement. You don't, if it's not in the licensing agreement, you don't get to come pound down their door a year later and say, let me audit your book. So again, that's why having experienced negotiators in your corner makes all the difference in the world. And while our clients do have to pay us for licensing negotiations, again, we're profit maximizers. They're going to earn significantly more from an agreement our team negotiates than if they were just negotiating on their own. That kind of leads into my next question. What are some of the common mistakes that you see inventors make? Common mistakes, and there, there are a bunch of them. So it's just not in licensing. Often the inventor thinks the only thing they have to do is get a patent. And so they get that great idea. They rush off to a patent attorney and the patent attorney, well, they get paid for writing patents, right? So they'll do the search. If there's any way to sneak a patent application through there, they'll certainly prepare it. And then most inventors believe once they have that patent application in their hand, that companies will beat down their door to buy it from them. And that's the biggest mistake in the world. Once you have your patent application filed, you then need to beat down the door of potential licensees to license it to them. They don't have departments just or, or people on payroll surfing the patent archives looking for those next great licensing opportunities. It's the inventor's responsibility to make them aware of that opportunity. A couple other mistakes that they make is inventors 
especially independent inventors, they love their invention. I referenced it earlier. A lot of them look at it as their baby. Obviously, we all believe our babies are the cutest in the world. And so they can fall for propaganda. They can use companies that sell them on the ease of licensing. And licensing is not easy. It requires work, commitment, and dedication. They fall for the, we'll do everything for you. The only thing you have to do is pay me and I'll call you when you're rich. Unfortunately, that phone call never comes because those companies are only interested in the upfront money. So to sum that up, inventors relinquish too much control over the process over the marketing process when it comes to pursuing licensing agreements and they need to they don't need to maintain that i mean they need to maintain control they need to be involved they need to spearhead the efforts and then they can familiarize themselves invention mastery is a great example the reason we're launching this course is so we can empower and educate inventors not to make mistakes so they can learn the difference between features of benefits so they can understand the type things that literally turn a licensee off when you go to that licensee and you say man my product's revolutionary it's never been done before well most likely you're wrong and that makes the licensee perceive that you're unprofessional and unprepared. So inventors, to avoid mistakes, can educate themselves. They can learn what features and benefits are. They can learn what is realistic in a licensing agreement. And asking for 50% certainly is not. They can avoid the invention submission companies, those folks that are going to do it all for you. you they're not. And they have to market and understand that every no puts them a little closer to a yes. So just because company A says no, doesn't mean company B will say no. So you've got to keep that motivation from one discouragement to the next until you find product success. Yeah, I can imagine it would take a pretty thick skin initially. I've talked to other inventors and I think that one had a, about 60 no's for her first product. And then another had like around 70 or 80. So. And it's common. You will hear more no's than yeses. When you boil it all down, I often say I'm a salesperson. Now, I, I wear a lot of hats at Inventor Process, but really, I'm a salesperson. It's my job to help our clients, not sell, but license their inventions to potential licensees. It's a lot of sales that comes into that. And as a salesperson, if a no is going to bother you, it is not the career for you. And it's the same thing in inventing. You're going to hear more no's than yeses. What have been some of your biggest success stories of people that have gone on to get their products developed and launched with Inventor Process? So again, over 23 years in the industry, I have had the pleasure to work with a lot of really good products. Not all of them have been with Inventor Process and many of them have been. One product that I very much enjoy is called the Pizza Pro and the Pizza Pro is simply a pair of scissors with a spatula on the bottom shear. You can buy them all over Amazon. I'll just type in Pizza Pro in the internet and they're available. This is a product that has sold hundreds of thousands of units and it allows you to get the perfect slice of pizza every single time. Now, this isn't if you order Pizza Hut delivery, but this is for frozen pizzas, which is about a six to seven billion dollar a year market in the U.S. And when my two sons were young, if one of them got a slice of pizza this big and the other one got one this big, that's fighting grounds. And so with the Pizza Pro, you get that 
perfect slice of pizza every single time without losing your toppings, which is a big hurdle with those frozen pizzas. Another product that I very much enjoy, and this isn't a top seller, and I'll tell you about some more of those in a minute, but this is going to be. And it was recently licensed by one of the biggest tool companies in the world. And that's another thing. Many professionals will tell you not to approach the big guys because they don't license products. And I'll say the worst they can tell you is no. The best they can tell you is yes. And if you have a quality product, any company can become an open innovation company. But with that being said, it's called the kicker door wedge. And it's very simply a piece of plastic in the shape of a wedge has some pressure sensitive adhesive on it. You stick it to your sliding door, sliding glass doors, or any sliding door down at the bottle. And it allows you to open the door and shut the door with your foot. And the way I explain it is most sliding glass doors lead out to a patio in the backyard, for instance. That's where your barbecue grill is. So many of us, we've got that tray of barbecue. We've got our iced teas. We go to the door. We set the tray down. We open the door. We grab the tray. We walk out. We set it back down to shut the door. But in the meantime, the dog has ran out. The bugs have got in and you've got a mess. So with the kicker, it's super simple. You do it right with your foot. And that is in Home Depot, Lowe's, and Amazon. Uh, probably right about the second run now. A couple other great ones that I very much enjoy is a product called the Cool Breeze Solar Pats. And this is very simply a product that has a lightweight solar panel on it, fans built into it. That way, when you're gardening, you're working out on the roof, you get a little bit of airflow across your head while you're still protecting yourself from direct sunlight. And then couple others are the doggy don't device, the twinkle treat basket. Another one of my favorites is the self-teaching training wheels. And just when the training wheel hits the ground, it gives you an alert to try to balance on your two primary wheels. So there's just a few of them. And if you go to inventormade.com, you'll see several more of our clients' products. Well, that brings up my next question. What is Inventor Made and who is it made for? How is it going to aid inventors? So first, InventorMade is just in its infancy. We have a lot of work to do on the website, but it's up and functioning. And I live by a simple philosophy, and I try to instill it to the team here at Inventor Process. And that is we can have everything in the world that we want, as long as we'll just help enough other people get what they want. And Zig Ziglar tells you it's not a tactic, it's a philosophy. That's exactly right. And I'm a big fan of Zig Ziglar, Les Brown, and many of the motivational and educational speakers, Patrick, Bet David, and so forth. Uh, but Inventor Made is our opportunity to give back to the invention community. Many independent inventors will go out, they'll have products produced, they'll have them packaged, they have their UPC codes, or what we call retail ready. And one of the hardest parts of launching a product that way is getting retail shelf placement, having Walmart, Target, AutoZone, Myers give you some shelf space. And if you only have a couple products or one, it makes it even that much more difficult. So Inventor Made is a place where inventors can sell their products. But what happens is we place the ad on the website when a, 
a client, a customer clicks on that ad, it takes them directly to the inventor's preferred sales platform, be it Amazon or their own website. And that's where the sale, the transaction takes place. So in its simplest terms, InventorMade.com is an advertising platform that doesn't charge any fees or any commissions to independent inventors. It's a way to help them bolster sales and eventually help them launch their product to a wider market. Okay. That sounds like that'd be a great resource for inventors. InventorMade.com. If they have, uh, if any of your audience members have a product they'd like to list, they can reach us at info at inventorprocess.com. Okay. What do you think the, some of the most important traits for somebody that is considering inventing as a, as their calling? Yes, sir. And I often say if you're in, if it's going to be your calling, if you're looking for a career in it, again, I know I've brought it up, but inventionmastery101.com is the place for them. But there's some traits that I think are important in life, and I think they're critical for an independent inventor. And I'm just going to refer to my notes so I don't leave them off. But often inventors think they have a good idea. The only thing they're going to have to do is show it to a company, and that's going to be the end of it. And that's really not the case. So I often say an inventor, an entrepreneur, they have to have that intention, right? That intention is the spark that's going to lead them to take action. And then, of course, an inventor, a successful inventor, they take invention education very seriously. And the thing about education is it often lights a fire in the stomach, right? You start getting excited as you're learning. You've got the idea. You start learning about how to commercialize it. You start getting excited. And the funny thing about excitement is it creates hope. And going back to Zig Ziglar, if there is hope in tomorrow, there is power in today, the power to get your product to the marketplace. So an inventor, they definitely have to have the intention to pursue their invention and be deliberate about pursuing it. They have to take invention education very seriously because just like anything, if you want to do it well, you have to learn how. And then an inventor has to take action. I often say the most beautiful plan in the world will not work if you won't. So you certainly have to take action. You have to have that perseverance. We talked about it earlier. As an inventor, you're going to hear more no's than yeses. And if that's going to deter you, well, stick with the day job because you're going to have to persevere. You're going to have to learn from those no's. You might have to course correct, but you have to continue to drive on. and then. This is something I hear all the time, and I probably shouldn't say this, it bothers me, but I often hear, man, if I only had more money, if I only had Sally's contacts, if I only was as handsome as Edward, well, no one's ever said that, but my whole point is so many inventors focus on resources, and I will tell you, it's not about resources. It's about resourcefulness, right? Intent, action, education, that's the great equalizer to resources. So resourcefulness. Also, they got to be professional. And that's true in inventing in almost every calling in life. And it doesn't matter if you're swinging a hammer for a living, if you're driving an Uber for a living, and you don't consider yourself the suit and tie guy. Through invention education, you can learn how to credibly and professionally present your product to industry. And you can learn how to professionally handle rejection and acceptance. And the probably the biggest thing that an inventor has to be is risk taker. They're going to invest money. 
They are going to invest time. They are going to invest energy. And well, I don't know a nicer way to say it. Most of them are going to make it. So you, you have to have an appetite for risk. But I think something like 95 to 97% of pizza parlors go out of business after the first year. It doesn't prevent people from opening up pizza parlors. And being a risk taker doesn't mean being careless. What it, being a risk taker means is you have a plan. You have taken the time to educate yourself. You have a plan and you're going to implement it and you're going to stay that course to see the product through. And going back to that risk taker, investing time, money, energy, and effort, there is something I have termed the big lie in the invention industry. And there are professionals out there. Some of them I personally like, have a cocktail with, they're the greatest in the world, but they tell inventors that you're the inventor and you should never have to spend any money on your invention. If it's good, they, somebody else should pay for it. And that is a huge lie. Often people who preach that message are affiliated with different service providers that they then refer inventors to and get a kickback because the inventor... <laughs> It doesn't have what they need to be able to present a product. They do need a sell sheet. They do need a prototype. They do need a patent application. So an inventor has to understand that they will invest time, money, energy, and effort into the product that they want to be successful. And they cannot believe the big lie that about 10% of the experts are out there preaching. I think it's just really important that inventors understand that there's a lot of people out there thinking of an idea very similar to them. And so the first one to take action is usually the one to win. And I'm not a big believer in preaching fear and you better do it now or else, because I think that it's important for an inventor to think about the idea, to flush it out and turn it into to something that can actually sell. But I also think once an inventor has done that, once they're made themselves confident that they have a product, they do have to take action because procrastination will kill opportunity. And I hear every single day, man, I thought of an idea and I saw it on the shelf already. Well, procrastination kills opportunity. When you have that idea, Go ahead, believe in yourself, take the necessary steps to try to first off, find out if it's marketable. And then if it is, try to get it to the shelves of the marketplace. The only thing you're going to regret in life are the things you don't do. And you don't want to be laying in your deathbed thinking about only if I'd have got my invention to the marketplace, only if I'd have written that book, only if I'd have sung that song. So go ahead and take the risk. It may cost you time. You may invest money that you don't get back, but you know what? You might just hit a whole run and it changes everything. And it only takes one idea to do it. Hey, good advice, sir. Thanks. Now, what piece of software or app do you find indispensable helping in the invention process? You know what? We use a bunch of uh, different software and apps. I mean, we use different CRM systems for keeping track of the services that we owe our clients. We use uh, different CRM systems to keep track of the companies that are responding to our clients and where those companies are in the process. Are they no's? Are they reviewing products? Are they ready to move forward with negotiations? But I would say HubSpot is a great one for us. We do a lot of our website construction in WordPress because it's very easy. What's the number one piece of advice that you can give for our listeners? 
The number one piece of advice for your listeners is to educate themselves on the invention process and then take action. Okay. And what's the best way for our listeners to check you out and get in touch with you, Edward? Perfect. So our website is inventorprocess.com. And then my direct telephone number, 702-912-2602. And then our office number is 702-912-2600. And then the email, info at inventorprocess.com. All right. That's a wrap. Thank you, Edward, for being a guest on Entrepreneurs Over 40. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Check out the newly redesigned Entrepreneurs Over 40 website at www.entrepreneursover40.com. While you're there, sign up to get updates from us. Also, don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss any other episodes. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneurs Over 40. Check us out at entrepreneursover40.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory.